Welcome to Evolving Threat Insights, a cybercrime magazine podcast series brought to you by Wells Fargo. For generations, Wells Fargo has been helping people go further. From exchanging gold coins for paper checks to enabling online transactions, Wells Fargo is continually innovating so that customers can get ahead. To learn more about our sponsor, visit wellsfargo.com. I'm your host, Hillary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining us today is Jordan Fuhr, SVP Strategic Cyber Partnerships and Communications at Wells Fargo. Jordan, welcome. It's so great to be speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Jordan, we're here to talk about government and peer bank relationships and how they can partner to defend against emerging cyber threats. But before we get into that conversation, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your career and your role at Wells Fargo? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm the Senior Vice President for Strategic Cyber Partnerships within Wells Fargo Cybersecurity Group. So I am within the CISO organization. And I've been here now for just about three years, Uh, three years next month. Prior to joining Wells Fargo, I worked for a sector association analyzing systemic risk and resilience uh, for the financial sector. And then Prior to that, spent a little over a decade in the defense and intelligence community, working with government, peer contractors, technology startups, and trades. So, in some ways, I've spent you know more than twenty years in the public-private engagement space. And what my role is is to really bring the right subject matter experts to the right conversations with our peers, with our trade groups, with our government partners to affect the best cybersecurity for our customers, our clients, our networks, and the nation. Excellent. And so for some of our listeners, the concept of public-private engagement might not be well known. So can you tell us, Jordan, what this means? Sure. The Public-private engagement at its very foundation is just that the mutually beneficial relationship between government and industry. And it sounds so simple. It's, you know, of course, government and industry should be collaborating. And, and we do. We absolutely do at varying degrees and in different ways across different sectors. So as I mentioned, my role at Wells Fargo is to work with the government, to work with our peers, and to work with academia and trade associations And make sure that we, Wells Fargo Cybersecurity, are bringing valuable information back to our government partners who can help synthesize, analyze, look for trends, inform the work that they're doing, as well as our peers to make sure that they understand what's happening, to see if something that they might have seen as a possible fluke might actually be relevant because other peer institutions are seeing that. And we're all doing this for you know, the business of protecting our networks, our clients and customers, but also that altruistic sort of what is good for us is good for all. And we can better protect the resiliency of the nation for the financial sector. Our CISO, Sunil Sasadri, he says that cybersecurity is the ultimate team sport. And he's exactly right. We can do our jobs to ensure robust cybersecurity and the controls and the risk management of our systems and data. And the government can do its thing. It can protect infrastructure and it can protect national interests and and federal networks. But we're so much more informed and secure when we collaborate, when we engage persistently, when we're sharing information intelligence, not to check a box or just for information sharing, 
but as true partners, when we come to the table and we're willing to take off our hats and sit down and work together, we can really accomplish a lot in this public-private engagement construct. That's fantastic. And there have been a number of recent executive orders and legislation and even a cyberspace solarium commission report a few years back that have advocated for this increased public-private collaboration. So Jordan, next question for you, is this a new phenomenon or how would you respond to that question or what would you add? Yeah, I I think it's not a new phenomenon, right? Certainly public-private partnership collaboration has been going on for a a long time and as I mentioned, I've, I've sort of been in this space for for uh, you know, 20 years or so. But I think as cybersecurity threats have increased, how adversaries' capabilities have grown, the need for public-private engagement has scaled with it. Maybe not as fast, but certainly has tried to keep pace because it's incredibly important that we work together to prevent these threats, to raise the bar against adversaries' actions, to make it more costly for them to attack individuals or institutions and work together to better protect all of the nation against cybersecurity. So you mentioned the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, which got its name from an Eisenhower administration project years ago. This one was a a bicameral, bipartisan, multi-sector report that I'm sure many of your listeners are are familiar with. But I think what was interesting is out of the 80 recommendations or so that they had and the six categories in which these recommendations were placed into, three of those subcategories directly talked about the need for increased public-private collaboration. There was this idea of promoting national resilience, and you can't have national resilience without clear partnerships with the owners and operators of critical infrastructure, healthcare, communications, energy, financial sector, water, on and on and on. These are privately owned, and the government doesn't have insight into what's happening on those networks without them sharing that information. Reshaping the cyber ecosystem was another one of the recommendations, looking at legislation, regulation, executive action, but doing so in a way that works with the private sector institutions, which this will affect so that they can achieve the best outcomes. There's some really good examples of regulatory incident reporting rules that came out last year went into effect earlier, well, yeah, I guess last year, now we're in January, uh, that really took feedback from the industry to say, this is what we're trying to get to. How can industry best help us get there? There's a lot of great examples, both in uh, the Cyber Solarium Commission report and you know, the executive orders. There was uh, one in, in May of last year, improving the nation's cybersecurity and, and the White House specifically calling out different agencies, NIST, DHS, CISA, to work more closely with the private sector to get their feedback, to, to collaborate on improved cybersecurity outcomes. So while this isn't new, the concept of public-private engagement. I think there's been a reinvigorated or a more emphasis and the commitment of both government and the private sector to actualize these partnerships. CISA director Jen Easterly had said a few times, and I think early when she came on to CISA, that the term 
public-private partnerships had almost become passe. It was, it was hackneyed. We said it so much, it didn't really mean anything. And she said that not because she doesn't find value in public-private partnerships, but because it had become more of a talking point than an actuality. And, and very much to her credit, I think she has moved CISA and sort of pulled with CISA some of the other federal agencies to really make public-private partnership not a talking point, but an actuality, driving greater bi-directional information sharing and intelligence sharing and, and encouraging industry to do the same. It's not a one-way street. This isn't more and more, more from the government. This is the government and industry working together. And so what does public-private engagement look like in practice to defend against emerging cyber threats? You could say public-private partnership all day long, but if there's not something in practice, then it is back to Jen Easterly's point, Director Easterly's point, just a phrase. So what it looks like is different depending on the agency, the sector, the institution. And it's that variety of shapes, colors, and sizes of public-private engagement that is great but it also makes it difficult to standardize and automate in some ways. So public-private collaboration is very much personality-driven. It's built on personal relationships, peer-to-peer, through trade associations like the ISACs, or directly with government agencies and government personnel. So it is certainly a more personal level getting the job done where the rubber meets the road. That isn't to say government agencies aren't trying to institutionalize the process. That's good. That will continue to be a push from industry and government so that when people rotate out of government or take other jobs or industry transitions, the groundwork, that foundational relationship, those processes are still there. Same with automation, information sharing, IOC, TTPs, there is automated ways to push out those vulnerabilities, those CVEs to make it more valuable. But it's always going to be a very relationship-driven, personal connection type role. So you end up with this looking like in action, a lot of meetings, a lot of phone calls, a lot of conversations, a lot of engaging at a personal level, face-to-face, and discussing how can we improve things. I think one of the major catalysts for this was the SolarWinds supply chain attack in 2020, where malicious code placed into a software pushed out to thousands of enterprises. The government was impacted just as much, maybe not more, than many private sector institutions. And for you know the first time, you really had government trying to answer the same questions industry was trying to answer in parallel, both asking for each other information and understanding one from the other that the speed at which you want information is not always possible, just the nature of an incident, this one being a very large one. So I think that was illuminating for government as they sat side by side, the information that they wanted, and they did a really great job. Treasury as our sector risk management agency, DHS and CISA primarily, really pulling information from SolarWinds, from software and and technology providers, from vendors to call the best, most helpful information for themselves and for the industry. And that was really a a nice sort of 
catalyst for how we could work better together, how we could push information faster, have real conversations, get to answers. And, and it was because big government were going through much of this at the same pace at which industry was going on, they were able to kind of sort of see eye to eye. And that sort of then left us in a good place for the terrible events as, as Russia invaded Ukraine and actually in the lead up to the invasion. The solar winds incident sort of set the precedent and showed that government could share information and the threat of Russia cyber incidents in Ukraine and spillover was enough for DHS and Treasury and FBI and others to share information much faster to show that declassifying some intelligence when available and where available could be pushed out to industry, not just the financial sector, but many sectors. And when the government couldn't declassify information, but it was very important for industry to know, they actually showed a willingness to bring sector representatives who had clearances in for briefings. And I think even there was a couple of news outlets that reported CEOs of major sector organizations being brought in for briefings in the run-up to this. So at a senior executive level, briefing companies of major industries on what was happening and the potential impact while also working with the network defenders and the cyber threat intel teams really showed that possibility of hand-in-hand. Hand. I think, you know, on a more tactical level, there's also been some really good work done in hubs like the National Cyber Forensic and Training Alliance at CFTA, some of your listeners are probably familiar with Pittsburgh, New York, other offices, looking at financial crimes and fraud within industry and getting law enforcement and academia and industry sitting shoulder to shoulder, working on programs, working on botnet takedowns or prosecution of large scale fraud targeting U.S. customers and victims receiving you know, justice for the crimes that have been perpetrated against them by cyber criminals. I think the ability to talk with industry on what they're seeing on a day-to-day -day basis, what are big trend pieces, what is keeping them up at night, and using the government's resources, informing the government, is a fantastic use and example of how these public-private partnerships work in practice. And so, Jordan, what's some of the benefits that you haven't covered yet? And what don't you think the public and companies should know about these relationships? There's a couple things. You know, one is that, as our CISO says, right, this is an ultimate team sport. Myself and my peers, where we're constantly saying there's no competitive advantage in cybersecurity, right? The more secure we all are, the better every individual is, both within the companies, the sector, the nation. So working together, it certainly has business impact. It's good for our clients and customers, but there's that altruistic feeling that we all have, right? This is good for the nation. This is protecting the stability of the financial sector. We work with peers in the energy sector communication sector, right? Keeping the lights turned on, the resiliency of the other critical infrastructure sharing across the different sectors is really important. And even though Wells Fargo is a large multinational corporation with you know, very well-funded cybersecurity program, and large cyber threat intel teams, we also understand there are plenty organizations within the financial sector that aren't resourced like we are. 
So we try to give as much information as we can to, to the government, but also to our trade partners like FSISAC, the, the Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center. You have the other ISACs that are doing the same. So being able to share with them also helps share with the smallest, the medium size, even the large organizations that have you know, lower margins or aren't as well resourced in the cybersecurity space. So I really think that it's helpful to know that we do see this as a team sport and we're all working toward a common good. Our government partners, our regulators, our academic institutions, our peers within the financial sector and outside of the financial sector, we all see cybersecurity increasing resiliency, decreasing risk as something very important for ourselves and for the nation. And Jordan, any final thoughts for our listeners on what you've covered so far and what our topic for today was? I think the one thing is, you know, especially for the individual, sometimes cybersecurity can seem very scary. We, the cybersecurity community at large, tend to use the hooded figure over a dark keyboard, you know, typing away. And it is, and it can be scary, but there are a lot of things that individuals can do. There are a lot of things that technology companies should do, that institutions are doing. Firms like Wells Fargo and our peers, right, we're taking cybersecurity very seriously and doing a lot to protect our individuals, our clients, our customers. But cybersecurity is also an individual responsibility, and there's a lot of great resources enabling multi-factor authentication, using password managers. Despite the recent password manager breach, there is still value in taking control of your cybersecurity. And there's a lot of resources out there for individuals through the Department of Homeland Security, through trade associations like NCA, the National Cybersecurity Alliance. I think it's really important for those listening to think through not just what they do at their companies, but also what they do at home and what they can do to help their family on an individual basis, raise their cybersecurity awareness, raise their cybersecurity posture, and make sure that we're all coming to the table to drive the cost of doing business higher for cyber criminals and bad cyber actors. Fantastic. Well, Jordan... Thank you so much for taking the time and joining me on Evolving Threat Insights. And hopefully we get to speak to you again soon. But thank you so much. Thank you. I really had a lot of fun speaking with you today and look forward to talking again. Absolutely. Thanks, Jordan. Evolving Threat Insights is brought to you by Wells Fargo. For generations, Wells Fargo has been helping people go further. From exchanging gold coins for paper checks to enabling online transactions, Wells Fargo is continually innovating so that customers can get ahead. To learn more about our sponsor, visit wellsfargo.com. And to keep up with all of our media, you can visit us at cybercrimemagazine.com.